who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. Each Monday, I bring you a brand new full-length episode covering something from a wide variety of topics. And then every Friday, come meet up with me again for a mini What's in the News episode so you can stay up to date on everything that's going on in the world. Check out Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist wherever you get your podcasts. And rage on. This podcast is for mature audiences. It contains graphic violence and adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Realm presents Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral, episode six. Winter brought the rain, and lots of it. Rivers in the southern reaches flowed faster than ever, creating boom times for the miners there. I briefly considered heading there myself, trying my luck again. Jesus was making out all right at Murphy's diggings, and Tres Dedos had joined him there. But I couldn't face that. Not just the labor involved, but the ever-present reminder of what I once had. With Rosita by my side. It would hurt too much. Instead, I hold up in my bare mountain cave. I read and reread articles about myself in the El Dorado Republican and other newspapers from the area. The man in the newspapers was a murderer and a thief. Crimes I had never imagined had been laid at my feet robberies, assaults, rapes, and more. Anything that couldn't be explained was blamed on the Mexican murderer with long, dark hair, a mustache, and a scarred forehead. A few papers contained sketches, none of which looked exactly like me, but some of which came close. Once the snow eased up, I visited with Jesus and Tres Dedos and made brief trips into various towns picking up supplies and assessing my own safety. While shopping in Murphy's diggings, I heard a familiar voice call out. Joaquin, God damn it, as I live and breathe, it's you. Bill Burns walked toward me, arms out in greeting, 
a broad smile splitting his craggy face. He looked older than I remembered, but still, I know Burns anywhere. Bill, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you all. As for me, Murphy's one of the richest camps around. Seems like the right place to be. For what? Mining? Tried that. Didn't agree with me. Nah, I better ways to make money. And they don't involve breaking my damn back. Like what? Let's you and me get a drink and talk about it, Joaquin. Shit, we got a lot to catch up on, huh, don't we? When did you get to California? How fair is Rosa? At the mention of Rosita, my face betrayed me. Burton saw it. Oh, oh no. What happened? I'll tell you about it, Bill, but only over those drinks. Inside a quiet saloon, I told Burns as much of my story as I dared. Leaving out my mission of vengeance against those who killed her. I described the night we ran away, the wedding at gunpoint, the early days on the river, and Burns nodded along, listening eagerly. When I got to the attack, Burns' face clouded over. Those men should hang. But you tell the authorities? A Mexican's word against that of five white men. And you're probably right, goddammit. Still, there ought to be something done. It's been done, Bill. What do you mean? They were arrested? Turned themselves in? I can't say any more than that. Burns studied me over his glass. It can't be. You're the Mexican murderer? Shh, Bill. God. You whore! Goddamn you, Joaquin! You're, you're him! Bill, don't get carried away. I'm the Joaquin you've always known. That's all. I've known tragedy. But I'm still him. Now you different. I can see it. I'm older. So are you. Well, thanks for pointing that out. But no, it's more than that. You're harder. Listen. Bill, I don't care who you kill. Those men were animals who needed to die. As far as I'm concerned, it's not murder. It's justice. That's how I looked at it. And I'm done with it now. I'm looking to find some honest employment somewhere. You had enough of mining? I have. Jesus and Manuel are still at it, but it's not the life for me. Trust me, it's hard on a white man too. I turned up a handful of nice-sized nuggets, some flakes, but never enough to live on for any length of time. I mean to use what I got to set myself up in my own business. But it turns out I'm a few hundred dollars shy. I could use a partner, a business. Doing what? Men with money in their pockets get awful thirsty. I was thinking about opening up a small drinking establishment in Murphy's Diggins. You know what I mean? Nothing gaudy. Just a quiet, friendly place where folks can come and drink with friends. What kind of partner are you looking for? I'd want a game of chance to strip away the rest of the gold they're carrying. You think you could run a Monty game? I could try. Like I said, I'm a few hundred dollars shy. Can you make a difference? My pockets are as empty as a man who spent all night at your establishment. Could you borrow from your brother? Or you got something you could sell? 
I ran through a mental list of my worldly possessions. I could sell a horse, and if it's a good horse, it'll bring a couple hundred, maybe more. Still a little shy. How long until we start making money? A few weeks, maybe. Could be less, but no more than that. Then if I sold two horses, I could buy one of them back, or a new one, fairly quickly. They're good ones, from Rosita's father's ranch. They're Felix horses? You could get top dollar for those. That'd be enough to put us over the top. I'm sure. I guess I'm in then. Burns extended a hand, and I shook it. Partners. I received fair prices for both horses and put the entire proceeds into a pot with Burns' money. We acquired the premises Burns had in mind, a space big enough for a bar and a dozen tables, one of which I appropriated from my Monty games. I quickly developed the skill to pick up and drop the cards so swiftly that it was almost impossible to follow the Red Queen. But some men hated to be wrong. And because I was Mexican, they often didn't bother with my name, but called me Pancho, Greaser, or worse. Those men were invited to leave the premises and not return. Six days before Christmas, Jesus and Tres Dedos rode in with a mule I had never seen trailing behind their horses. I'm leaving the mule for you, little brother, because you said you wanted to visit some friends in Cayuma. Yes, the Mendozas. They've helped me out when I was, when I was in some trouble. I want to take them a gift for Christmas. You'll go tomorrow. I will, and I'll return on Christmas Day. I'll come back that afternoon to collect the mule then. I just bought her. She's fine for riding, but I mainly bought her to work at the diggings. She's a good hauler, I'm told. Thank you, Jesus. You're a good brother. I'm glad we're still near enough to see each other sometimes. As am I. Stay out of trouble, Joaquin. We'll see you soon. The next day, I packed some fruits and nuts and other gifts I'd acquired onto the mule Jesus had loaned me and headed out of town. I had only made it as far as Murphy's old diggings when a man I vaguely recognized called out to me. He wore a scowl, like he'd been born with it. You there! Ain't you walking? I reined the mule in. I am. I know you. You are. You took enough of my money at your monte table. You're Mr. Lang. Will Lang. That's right. Something I could do for you, Mr. Lang. I have a long ride ahead of me, and it's mighty cold out here. A long ride on my mule? What the hell are you doing with that animal? It's my brother's mule. He bought it? The hell he did? The beast was stolen from me three days back. My brother is an honest man. He's a miner. He bought the mule to haul things for him. A mule instead of a burro. Hell of a tail. You got any more like it? Sir, sir. I'm telling you, my, my brother bought this mule when... Lang crossed the distance between us, his hands balled into fist. 
He pointed to the animal's right ear, where I saw a notch I hadn't noticed before. Well, he might have did, but I ain't sold it. You see that? She cut down some barbed wire, reaching under it for some better grass. I got a little spread off that old Murphy's road, and I can show you the section of fence she cut it on. She got a scar on her muzzle there too. Mr. Lang, there, there's some misunderstanding. I don't know who Jesus bought it from, but he did buy it. And I'm certain he had no idea it had been stolen. I could peg you for a horse thief right now. He was right. People had started to come out of homes and businesses, curious about the altercation on the quiet main street. They were almost exclusively white people. A Mexican accused of stealing horses wouldn't stand a chance in their company. How could I get out of this mess? You could, but it wouldn't be true. You know who I am, where I work. I'm partners with Bill Burns in that place. I wouldn't risk my livelihood and my neck by stealing a mule. You might not, but I wouldn't know your brother from General Santa Ana himself. Look, let's meet at Murphy's tomorrow at noon. I'll get Jesus there and we'll get this all straightened out. I'm sure it's just some kind of mistake. No, I'll be there and I'll bring my mule. I no longer carried a gun with me everywhere, but I was never without my knife. I put my hand on the pommel. I'll bring the mule. Lang read the look on my face. He nodded reluctantly. All right, you be there. I know where to find you if you're not. That's true. I'm not hiding. No, man. Lang walked away without looking back. I fought a sudden impulse to charge after him and bury the knife in his back. But I couldn't. Not only were there plenty of people around, but I was done with that life. I was an honest man now. Disputes had to be settled with words, not violence. My trip to Kayuma was over. I couldn't get back in there in a day. And I had to fetch Jesus to let him know what had transpired over the mule. Perhaps he had a bill of sale, or maybe Tres Dedos had witnessed the transaction. Anything to quiet Lang's complaints. I was no innocent. I'd murdered people and, and robbed them after. Stealing livestock, though? That I had never done. It was one thing to live with one's crimes. It was another thing entirely to be accused of crimes I never even contemplated. I swallowed my rage and turned the mule around. During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. The sun was high. Tres dedos, Jesus and I stood outside Beyond Mind's establishment, with the mule hitched to a post in front of the door. We'd been there for about 15 minutes 
when Will Lang stepped out of a saloon down the street, accompanied by half a dozen white men. My anger at Lang's accusation had only grown overnight. I was beginning to think you weren't coming. I'd be damned if I wouldn't show up to claim my own property. Jesus was angry too. The bill was mine, and you know it. You sold it to me yourself and took my money. Ha! You got anything on paper to back that up? You didn't give me anything? Tres Dedos took a half step toward Lang. The mule's not stolen, and you know it. I was there. You fellas, take a look. Check that cut on that ear and the scar on her face. Whose mule was that? The other men gathered around, inspecting the animal. That's your mule, Will. I know it anyway. The others offered their agreement. Jesus was seething. I don't know any of you men. None of you were there when he sold it to me. And where exactly did that take place? On the road between here and Cuyuma, where I met you. You were on a horse and leading the mule. And I stopped you and I said I was looking for one. And would you ever sell it? You asked me to name a price, and I did. You raised me, and we settled in the middle. <laughs> Lie. You a liar and a horse thief. I am not. Fellas, fetch some rope. This thing's got to hang. Wait, I shouted. Surely this can be settled some other way. I didn't steal the mule. Jesus insisted. I, I, I paid for it. The man who identified the mule spoke again. He was big, with close-cropped blonde hair and strangely flat face. I stared at him. I'd seen that man before. Will says you did it. I say he did. Tres Dedos shouted. He whipped out a big knife from somewhere. A couple of the men dashed back into the saloon from which they emerged. Jesus had had enough. I won't be treated this way. I am taking my mule and going home. Lang stepped between him and the mule, drawing a pistol from behind his back. He came forward and grabbed his suit by the wrist. I reached for my knife, but three other men swarmed me, one locking his arms around mine, another snatching the knife from my sash. The third waved a gun in my face. You just settle down, mister. We're awful sick of you fucking greasers coming here and stealing our stock. You try anything, you get the same treatment as your friend. He's my brother, and he's a better man than all of you put together. Five men grabbed Tres Dedos, two of them hanging onto his knife arm. He surged toward Lang anyway, dragging the men along. Before he could reach his target, two more men joined the fray. One of them slammed a thick wooden club into the back of Tres Dedos' head several times, blood flying each time it was drawn back. Tres Dedos wrenched his arm free with a roar and lashed out with a knife, slicing into the men holding him. The club came down again and again. Eyes wild, Tres Dedos went to his knees. The men around him kicked and punched, and the club struck again and again and again. Tres Dedos slumped forward and fell on his face in the dirt, blood pulling around him. The two men who got into the saloon 
emerged with a length of rope already tied into a noose at one end. So this had been the plan from the start. I struggled against those holding me, but they were strong, and the one with the pistol slashed it across my cheek. I tasted blood. Jesus struggled too, but more white men poured out of nearby buildings. What had been a small group was turning into a mob. They pinned Jesus in place and looped the noose around his neck, then dragged him toward a sturdy live oak at the end of the road. I screamed at them to stop. But anytime I did, someone punched me in the kidneys or kicked at my knees and shins. The man with the gun pistol whipped me again for good measure. And the door to our saloon opened and Burns came out, accompanied by two other men. One of them, a regular named Ray McPhee, owned the town's butcher shop and served as a constable on the side. The other, Sam Green, was a rival saloon keeper, but a longtime friend of Burns. McPhee spoke first. Hey, uh, what's going on, boys? Never you mind, Ben, Lang said. We're just fixing to stretch some hand. These greasers is horse thieves. Joaquin's my partner. Burns protested. You all know him? He's as honest as the day is long. He's in league with these others. They stole my mule and tried to deny it. He did nothing of the sort. Joaquin, I thought you was in Kuyuma. I tried to answer, but one of the men had such a tight grip on my throat that I couldn't get a word out. <laughs> Turn him loose! Burns demanded. Look, I'll lock this pair up in jail, McPhee offered. When Sheriff Annie gets back, he'll straighten this all out. If these men are thieves, they're entitled to a trial. They've been tried and convicted, Lang said. By us. The goddamn lousy Mexicans. Why involve the law? You men will stay out of our way if you value your own hides. We'll do nothing of the kind, Burns said. He started back toward the bar, where I knew he kept a shotgun in case of trouble. But before he made it two steps, one of the men from the mob drew a pistol and fired. The top of Burns' head blew off in a pink mist, and he dropped to the road. The man with the gun pointed it at the other two. Either of you feeling brave? White man takes a grace aside. He gets what he deserves. McPhee went to his knees besides Burns. Sam Green just stood there, arms at his sides, fury twisting his face. Tears sprang to my eyes. Rage and sorrow flooded through me in an equal measure, as if the scent of blood had driven the mob over the edge. A roar went up, and Jesus and I were dragged down the road. Curses popped around like firecrackers, I jerked one arm free, then planted a booted foot and turned on my nearest captor, throwing a fist that split open the flesh below the man's eye. I clawed at another man before two others grabbed the free arm and wrenched it behind my back, shoving my face into the muddy road. They dragged me along then, face down, kicking me as they went. At the oak tree, I was hauled to my feet and caught a glimpse of my brother. The noose had been tightened around his throat. 
and his hands bound behind his back. His face was bloodied, his eyes wild with terror. The big man who had been with Lang from the start took the loose end of the rope and hurled it skyward. As she did, I finally remember who it was. That deputy from Los Angeles who had made Rosita and I pay for the foreign miners tax. What was his name again? Schmidt. The rope flew over the branch, dropping down on the other side. An ugly cheer went up from the mob. A dozen of them wrestled for position on the loose end and the victors set tugging on it. Jesus gave a choke cry and he was yanked off his feet. He started kicking every which way. I tried again to break free of my captors to rush my brother's rescue. It earned me only more beatings. When they dragged me to my feet again, I could hardly stand on my own. But the grips of the men holding me kept me upright. Jesus rose above the crowd, still kicking. The men stopped pulling him and tied the rope to the tree's trunk. Jesus dangled there, unable to reach the noose around his neck, unable to do anything but kick and ride from side to side, his eyes eyes bulge. His mouth worked, but nothing came out except guttural sounds. Finally, it stayed open, his tongue lolling out, and the kicking stopped. Jesus swayed gently, turning slowly when a cold breeze blew out of the east. Then, Lang pointed at me, now, this one. But with the death of Jesus, the vicar seemed to have drained from the mob, sensing that there was no more spirit left for another hanging. Lang settled for a second best. While Schmidt cut off a length of the hanging rope, others stripped off my shirt. They pressed me up against the oak's trunk with my bare chest against the bark and tied my wrist together on the other side. Somebody procured a whip for Lang, who began lashing my back. <coughs> the first few blows knocked the wind out of me. And just as I regained it, the next landed, and the next. After the first six or seven, my back on fire, blood rolling down my back and into my trousers, I hardly noticed the remaining blows. Hatred and rage supplanted all else. Sometime later, a Mexican man, older, with white streaking his beard, scooped water from a pail in a dented tin cup and offered it to me. Someone had cut me loose from the tree, though I didn't remember it. I had been lying beside it in a daze for what must have been an hour or more. When the man bent over beside me and sloshed the cup in the pail, I blinked and returned to the present. 
becoming aware again of the agony that started at my back but swelled to engulf every part of my being. I tried to sit up, couldn't. The man dropped the cup back into the pail and took my arm, helping me sit. Every motion sent another lance of pain through me. I opened my mouth and let the stranger pour some water on my tongue. Lo, lo, lo conozco. No, I have seen you before in town. My name is Bernardo. I saw what they did to you. At that, I looked up. Jesus still dangled there, twisting slightly on the rope. And to him, Bernardo added, Mi hermano, Jesus, help me get him down. Amigo, you're in no condition to help me or I'll do it myself. I will help you, but let me do the hard work. You're hurt badly. You're an old man. I can do it. I grasped my sash, looking for my knife, but it was gone, taken by the mob. Bernardo produced a knife from a pocket and handed it to me. Lo podemos hacer juntos. You cut the rope, and I'll hold it. Together, he lowered Jesus to the ground. I, I need to bury him. You need a doctor. You're injured. I'll be fine. Me puede ayudar? Bury him. Where? The church here won't take a hangman. Not here. Where the whites can spit on his grave. I'll take him out into the wilderness. Find a good spot. It's winter, Bernardo reminded me. The ground is hard as stone. What do you suggest? Leave him until spring? He needs to be buried. Let me help. Do you have shovels and horses? I have little me, amigo. But I can get them. Do it. I'll reward you. <sighs> With what? No reward is needed. We are all strangers here in a place where we're unwelcome. If we don't help each other, who will? With what? The question drove home my situation. I had little money, but not much. I had my interest in our saloon, but Burns was dead. Tres dedos too, most likely. I peered down the street, but saw no sign of Burns' corpse or my cousin's. By now, Lang and his friends had probably stripped everything of value from the bar and burned it to the ground. I couldn't risk seeing those men again. I would have to kill anyone I saw who had been part of the mob. But in my weakened state, I would most likely be killed instead. No. I had to recover and come back when I was stronger. Then, I would kill them all.
Bernardo borrowed two horses and a shovel, and together we rode into the hills. I found a spot on a south-facing slope so Jesus could look toward Mexico, and we took turns digging into the frozen earth until we had a hole deep enough to accommodate the body. As the sunset washed the sky, Bernardo said a few words over the grave. I hadn't spoken for hours. I was empty, stripped of everything but skin and bones, and pain. Bernardo spoke gently. Will you be all right, mi amigo? Let me have one of those horses. I cannot. The horses are borrowed. Otherwise, I would. But they are not mine to give. I'll repay you and the owner tenfold. <laughs> Forgive me, but you do not look like a man with that kind of wealth. I will have it. My name is Joaquin Murrieta. This will not be the last you hear of me. I owe you, and I always repay my debts, the friendly kind, as well as the other. I started with Will Lang. Lang had been the instigator. He'd taken good money for the mill, then had accused Jesus of stealing it. If not for his lies, I would still be partners with Bill Burns, and he and Jesus would still be alive. With the horse I'd taken from Bernardo, I rode down from Bear Mountain, where I'd gone to hill. The snow had melted, and signs of spring were everywhere. Close to town, small farms and ranches and a few mining claims lined the road, and I watched out for Lang's little spread. It took days to spot Lang, but finally I did, on a Sunday morning, riding a buggy home from church dressed in what must have been his best suit. It was brown mostly, with patches of almost brown in the worn through spots. The mule pulling the buggy had a notch on its right ear. I stayed just close enough to see where Lang went. His little spread turned out to be simply a wooden house with a small yard surrounded by barbed wire fence. Behind the house were two shaded stalls open to the elements. A horse stood in one and Lang put the mule in the other when he unhitched her from the buggy. I gave him a few minutes to get inside, get settled. I had no weapons. I left my musket and pistol in the hotel room the day I'd been whipped, and I had never gone back for them. The knife I had bought in Los Angeles had been stolen, but I wouldn't need weapons for Lang. When I kicked in the front door, Lang was sitting at a simple wooden table with a steel flask in front of him. The lid unscrewed and set beside the bottle. He looked up at me. I wonder when you show up. I hope it's been disturbing your rest. <clears throat> Not really. This helps. 
Take another swig then. It'll be your last. Lang tilted his head toward a rifle hanging from two pegs hammered into the wall. I have a gun. Why not go for it? I figure there's not much use in it. Do you want to die? It ain't a matter of want it or not. It's a matter of practicality. I done plenty of bad in my time, and not so much good as I might have. I ain't got no people to worry about, and no fortune either. You tell me, is living so much better than dying? You're a sad man. <laughs> and you're not. I pressed my lips together until they turned white. But I didn't answer. Instead, I snatched the rifle off the wall. Ammunition. Box on the little table by the door. I hope you live a long time. And I hope every day is more miserable than the one before. <laughs> Taking the gun and the bullets, I went out the door, leaving it open behind me. To be Will Lang alive was worse punishment than dying. I took his horse and the mule, then climbed back onto my horse and headed for Kuyuma to sell Lang's animals. My brother had been hanged from a crime that hadn't been committed, but it was never too late. With the proceeds from the sale of Lang's livestock, I was able to purchase a new coat dragoon to replace the one I lost and a new bowie knife with a nine-inch blade. I also bought some clothes and boots, all in black, including an American hat with a wide brim. As a nod to my heritage, I had a seamstress sew ornate silver conchos along the outer seam of each pant leg, and I kept my red sash around my waist. I was beginning to look the part I intended to play, but more was needed. A plan formed in my mind. I rode to Hangtown to see the barber I had met before. The shop was empty as it had been on my previous visit. The barber was sitting in his chair carving away at a chunk of pine. He looked up when I entered. It's you. You remember me. You're hard to forget. You did me a favor before. I appreciate it. You need another haircut. The barber stood, set down the wood and the knife, and motioned me into the chair. And a shave. But I also need information. You seem to know a lot about our fellow Mexicanos in the area. What kind of information? I need to find some men who aren't afraid of a little danger. Men who can help me make some money. Digging? <laughs> I'm not trying to take gold from the ground anymore. I'll let the others do that. Then take it from them. The barber began cutting big chunks of hair. I might know somebody like that. 
You might. Have you heard of Salomon Pico? Of course. Everyone heard of Pico. His cousin, Pio Pico, had been governor of Alta, California before the war. After the war, Salomon had started raiding in newly American California, amassing a good-sized gang. I know a man who knows some men who used to ride with them. They've become, let's say, uh, disheartened. What I hear is that they think he takes unnecessary chances. He will either be arrested or killed soon, they say. So they're looking for another situation. I'm only saying what I've heard. Can you put me in touch with them? The barber made a few more cuts, then ran his fingers through my hair, inspecting his work. Perhaps? Are you somebody who has something to, to offer? I could be. Tell me your name again. I am Joaquin Murieta. Never heard of you. Have you, perhaps, heard of the Mexican murderer? That was you? It was. Those were personal, though. From now on, it's not personal. What is it, then? I considered my answer for a moment. It's my mission in life. That's quite ambitious. It is indeed. The barber walked to the door, looked out, then returned to my side. He leaned in close to my ear and began speaking quietly. The man you want to see is named Garcia. You're listening to Blood and Gold, starring Richard Cabral. Blood and Gold is a Realm production in association with Stryker Entertainment. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Ever since I was born, I could hear the spirits of the other world. Where old stories take on a new life. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. And the world is teeming with possibilities. It's midnight, girls! They're here! Get ready to change! Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz! Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with as you've never heard them before. You are no more than a demon! Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Blood and Gold stars Richard Cabral, based on the novel Blood and Gold, The Legend of Joaquin Murieta by Jeffrey J. Marriott and Peter Murieta. Produced by Marco Palmieri, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Adapted for audio by Greg Cox. Directed by Fred Greenhalge. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Russell Binder, Peter Murieta, Julian Yap, and Richard Cabral. Historical notes read by Elena Ray. Spanish dialogue translated by Alana Grafham. 
Regional Dialect Coaching by Luis Armando Mercado Campos. Sound Design by Eric Mooney. Mixing, Mastering, and Additional Sound Design by Rory O'Shea. Audio Editing by Corey Barton. Original Score by Juan Carlos Enriquez. Music Supervision by Marcus Begala. Production Manager, Alexis Latshaw. Production Coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover Art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in Charge for Realm, Mary Asadoli. Find more shows like Blood and Gold by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. Thank you.